When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Multi-Level Mondays, a weekly series all about pyramid schemes, Ponzi schemes, multi-level marketing, and other forms of business fraud. I'm the Illuminati, and today we're going to be talking about one of the largest MLMs we've ever discussed. Hell, probably one of the largest companies alongside Nestle, Unilever. Now, just from a cursory search, it seems like Unilever owns over 400 companies, many that I'm sure you'll recognize. Unilever is one of those titans that it's almost impossible to avoid them. They make energy drinks, cheese, ice cream, tea, cleaning agents, coffee, pet food, bottled water, toothpaste, chewing gum, frozen pizza, pregnancy tests, juice, beauty products, cereals, you name it. Some of their brands include Axe, Dove, Heartland, Noor, Lipton, Lux, Magnum, Degree, Sunsilk, and Surf, just to name a few. As is the case with Nestle, I don't think you can really slow Unilever down. So today we're focusing on the MLM side of things because did you know that they also have an MLM? I know that Unilever is almost probably too big to care, but I still wanna talk about how this even happened and what Unilever is doing that's taking advantage of people. Also as a content warning here, after the first two chapters of this episode, uh, after I talk about how Unilever became an MLM, things are gonna get a bit rough. Abuse will be mentioned. So if you are not in the right space to hear about that, I understand, and this may not be the episode for you. But with that being said, let's get right into their history. I come to nature to keep my skin soft. I come to Jurgen's Aloe and Lanolin Skin Conditioning Bar. It's the first with nature's aloe from the legendary aloe vera. You'll wonder where the yellow went when you brush your teeth with Pepsodent. Uh, pardon me, miss. Uh, what's that you're drinking? Coffee. Oh, well, may I suggest Lipton tea? Um, it's a change of pace drink because it's a refreshing change from coffee. As always, we're going to start by taking a look at how Unilever was formed and when they started to dip their toes into the MLM territory. Their story technically begins in the 1870s in the Netherlands. Jurgens and Van den Berg, two family businesses, developed a new product that consisted of beef fat and milk that was an alternative to butter, margarine. A decade later in England, a wholesale family business owned by William Lever began producing soap, which was ultimately branded under the name Sunlight. By 1887, Lever and co were producing an astounding 450 tons of soap each week. Over the next 50 years, both businesses expanded their respective companies into various other product markets and across continents. Eventually, these two companies joined forces. According to my sources, Unilever was formed at the end of the 1920s. At that time, Jurgens owned margarine factories in Scotland, Ireland, England, and Lord Lever Hewham controlled 60% of the output of UK soap manufacturing. Before his death in 1925, the Lever brothers founder, Lord Lever Hewham, built up a private portfolio of companies that included some dealing with produce from his newly acquired estate in Scotland's Western Isles. Many of these, including Mac Fisheries Limited, will eventually be bought by Lever Brothers. At the end of the decade, alliances reach their ultimate conclusion and the official history of Unilever begins. 
First, Jurgens and Vanderberg joined together to create Margarine Uni. Then, two years later, one of the largest mergers of its time, Margarine Uni teams up with Lever Brothers to create Unilever. Lever Brothers were incredibly well-known around that time, and they started the Clean Hands campaign in 1926, encouraging children to wash their hands before breakfast, before dinner, and after school. I've obviously got no issue with this or promoting hand washing, obviously, but this was probably a mix of educating the public about keeping clean and earning a buck. Unilever was originally primarily focused on margarine and soap, but World War II changed things. They survived because they prepared themselves well in advance. Legally wise and deteriorating war conditions eventually worked to their advantage. Around this time, Unilever began gobbling up companies. They started with T.J. Lipton in 1936. They made an initial investment in the company, and a few years after Sir Thomas Lipton passed away, they acquired most of the equity in 1943 as a wartime strategy to expand the food business. They also acquired Bachelor's Peas, a vegetable canner, and Pepsodonant, a toothpaste brand, soon after. Lipton struggled at first, so Unilever began to adopt a hands-off attitude with their subsidiaries. Then in 1957, they launched Dove, according to one source. By the end of the 1960s, Unilever, with its vastly extensive range of categories and brands, was truly immense, with more sales than P&G, Colgate, Palmolive, Nestle, and Henkel combined. In market share terms, it helped around one-third of the global market for detergents. Its relative weakness in Europe and the U.S. made up by being first mover in many other markets and a much greater geographic spread than its main soap and detergent competitors. In edible fats, Unilever enjoyed a 12% global market share, 50% accounted for by butter. Vaseline, Pons, Ben & Jerry's, Suave, St. Ives, Love Beauty, and Planet Caress Tresemme, they aren't MLMs, they're all owned by Unilever. And these controversies may seem minimal at first glance, though we will get into this later. So what the hell happened here? How did this company just, you know, keep growing and growing and growing and buying and buying and buying and suddenly they're involved in MLMs? Like, how did this happen? Well, that's where a company called Aviance comes into play. According to my source, Unilever is one of the most well-known companies around the world, considering it has a lot of popular brands in food, home care, and beauty and personal care products. But did you know that the company also has an MLM program? Yes, and they are doing this through the Unilever Network Marketing Company. The name of the business is called Aviance. It's basically a company that offers an opportunity to get discounts on products and sell them at retail to get profits. You can also earn commissions from your downlines as well as other forms of incentives. Unilever apparently, and probably unsurprisingly, doesn't make it easy to find information about their MLM branch on their website, not unless you are really, really digging into it. Aviance has changed its name to the Unilever Network and that was in 2013. So you'll hear both of the names throughout the episode and just know that it's the same thing, the MLM branch of Unilever itself. One website for this Aviance branch looks absolutely dead, but it's still promoting a qualifying trip for 2019 and the Our Philosophy page leads to a completely separate website that looks unrelated, just advertising their skincare. Aviance or Unilever Network has a presence in Thailand, Latin America, and the Middle East, yet not in the US. One source, which refers to them as Aviance or Aviance Shop, states that their headquarters are in Thailand, but they have offices in the Philippines. They sell Aviance premium skincare as well as other beauty and cleansing products, and their representatives are known as privileged shoppers, affiliates, or business associates. And I think I'm starting to get the handle of this absolute mess. Basically, Unilever is a massive titan of a company that's bought up a ton of brands that I'm sure many of you have never even heard of. Many people, at least in the US, I believe, have no idea that they're also an MLM because they don't announce it on their website, and the MLM is only overseas and not in the US. Another source states, 
Aviance is a beauty brand primarily aimed at women produced by the Unilever Group. Aviance is sold under a variety of different markets around the world, including Asia, Latin America, and the Middle East, and is also sold via Hindustan Unilever's multi-level marketing division. Aviance or Unilever Network is not just one company out of the 400 that Unilever owns. It's an entirely separate way to take advantage of people and sell their products. If you ask me, I think it's a little worse than owning just an MLM. Unilever is operating as one in these countries. It's like if Nestle said, hey, let's start using an MLM business model in other countries. It earns the top of the pyramid more money. They get to up their prices to account for commission and everyone at the top wins as they always do in these types of schemes. Or for another comparison, it's like how Amway sells a ton of different brands, but at the end of the day, they're all under a giant MLM umbrella, at least in these countries. But why? Well, I don't have an answer aside from money. It's not as if Unilever had a network marketing branch that was formed in the 1900s that could be explained by them trying to introduce a product to an overseas market. Aviance was formed in 2012, long after the FTC began warning people about pyramid schemes. Some companies have been in direct sales forever, but Unilever had absolutely no real reason to do so. As one Thailand 2012 article states, Paul Pullman, chief executive officer of consumer products giant Unilever, recently voiced his long-term commitment to the global expansion of Aviance, the company's direct selling business for luxury cosmetics. Speaking at the grand launch of the brand in Malaysia last month, Pullman revealed the company's strategy to make Aviance, which was created in Thailand, a success in other markets across the world. I've witnessed the success of Aviance in Thailand. During several of my visits, I had the pleasure to see what the brand is doing there for consumers to improve their lives and make people feel good and look good. The brand is now being launched here in Malaysia and will give the same opportunities to all wonderful 26 million people in this country, Pullman said. As everybody knows, there are 7 billion consumers globally and we need to give the opportunity to buy our Aviance products. We have 170,000 wonderful people working for us every day and every night to bring our products to the people. Our mission is very simple, to make people feel good and look good to improve their lives. In many places in the world, also in part of the world, there are many opportunities to further improve consumers' lives, he said. Pullman said Unilever was a company of brands, people, and passion, which is what made the firm successful. He said that the strength of Aviance was in line with the company's motto of fulfilling consumers' dreams of youth and beauty, as well as building their self-esteem. By doing this, Unilever also fulfills its business associates' dreams of wealth, vision, and independence, which helps many people in the world support their families and lead a good life. And we'll see about those dreams of wealth in just a moment there, Paul. So Paul Pullman, it seems, is the genius, so to speak, behind this. Unilever is a massive, successful, gigantic business. And in 2012, Paul Pullman said, hey, let's make this an MLM in Thailand. Paul apparently once considered becoming a doctor or a priest. And right about now, I wish he'd done either of those things because this is a terrible decision. Maybe not for the company, but for the people they're targeting. He also apparently worked for Nestle at 1.2. And, um, you know, I'm just gonna say that that explains a lot. I can't even learn that much more about Unilever Network itself because as many have said, they keep their information very close to the chest. There's so little information about this company itself. Unilever Network is essentially just designed for people who already buy their products to get discounts and then push it onto others. They have images on their website that show the business model is a standard pyramid structure with downlines, but the opportunity simply just isn't there. One more cup of coffee, a site that I've used often when discussing MLM's claims. Unilever itself has a solid reputation, which does make it sound like a good approach for earning money. However, there are a few factors that limit this. One is that the opportunity only appears to be present in some parts of the world. 
Most references to it refer to the opportunity being available in India. The opportunity is also referred to as the Hinduistan Unilever Network, a name that has been associated with India as well. The MLM itself has very little online emphasis and instead seems to largely focus on offline direct selling. For this reason, there is very little reliable information online about the opportunity or where it's available. A second problem is related to the products of the company. Now, the company does have a wide range of popular products, but it is also a very extensive company. The challenge is that there are already a lot of different places that sell Unilever's products. This can make the process of making money through the company pretty difficult because you face a lot of competition from many different sources. When it comes to buying products, people tend to opt for approaches that are easy and flexible, especially for products that are available in many places. Because of this, people often buy products online or from places that they were going to anyway. In contrast, buying from a distributor can be a frustrating process and it is something that many people try to avoid. It's safe to say I'm incredibly disappointed that Unilever would roam into the world of MLMs and pyramid schemes, but what about this supposed good reputation of theirs? I don't have an issue with a company being massive. However, when they are, well, you know, issues tend to arise the bigger they get and things tend to be swept under the rug or paid to disappear, like you get the picture. And now that we have an understanding of how Unilever began and when they became an MLM, let's talk about this supposed solid reputation of theirs. We're going to start by going over how Unilever treats their workers. There is a ton of bad behavior to go over here. So let me just apologize in advance if I'm not able to cover every single minute detail of the mistreatment that goes on at Unilever, but I will do my best. In May, 2019, Ethical Consumer reviewed an article on the Food and Allied Workers Union website. It was titled FAWU Condemns Brutal Force Against Striking Unilever Workers and dated February 22nd, 2019. The article described an event between striking Unilever workers and private security forces in South Africa. A section of it read, the Food and Allied Workers Union strongly condemns the unprovoked attack on peacefully striking union members by private security guards at Unilever Limited's Indosa plant on Durban on Monday, 18th of February, 2019. More than 600 FAWU members embarked on a legal strike on the 11th of February this year in demand of a housing allowance and profit-sharing scheme after the parties had been going back and forth over these issues during negotiations. Private securities calling themselves SWAT, who were hired by the company two weeks before the strike, invaded the picketing area last Monday and summarily unleashed a torrent of rubber bullets on innocent workers while they were demonstrating peacefully. Four people were seriously injured, two open criminal cases against the security guards, and the security even used paintballs to provoke these workers. The source states, "'It is becoming more and more common over the last couple weeks that employers use security guards to provoke our members to paint them in a negative light, whilst these poor workers are simply exercising their right to demonstrate peacefully for better working conditions.'" I'm not even saying that Unilever was obligated to give these workers what they asked for, simply not to attack peaceful protesters. A company has to make money, and unfortunately, it's all too common that corporations put their profit over the welfare of their own employees. This isn't the only time Unilever has done something like this either. Perfleet Essex workers were told that their pay was going to be cut up to 30% in order to maintain the site, one of the largest margarine factories in the world. My 2014 source states, Perfleet management has refused to consider all proposals from the union negotiators, instead offering a deal which will slash pensions, bonuses, salaries, replace full-time workers with individual contract employees outside of the bargaining unit, reclassify jobs and establish a new shift schedule with a much reduced time off. 
Unilever espouses at every opportunity the company's commitment to ethical corporate behavior in line with the early history of the company. The workers who make Unilever products around the world want to see clear indications of these high ethics. And that last statement is absolutely true. It just takes a quick visit to their website to see this. Beneath all brands, they state that they're on a journey to reduce their environmental footprint and increase their positive social impact. The environmental footprint we'll see in a moment, but I don't see how in any world Unilever can argue that they wanna create a positive social impact when they fire rubber bullets on their own peacefully protesting employees. It must be incredibly infuriating to work for Unilever, seeing these kinds of mixed messages. The network claimed in 2013 that they want their workers to share in the benefits of the company's growth. And next year, they're cutting their paycheck by 30%. So let me reiterate, Unilever is not hurting for cash. In fact, what I find particularly odd is that their global brand value actually peaked in 2014, the highest it's been since. So why cut pay in early 2014 when the company seemed to be doing particularly well? In Unilever's own press release, taken off their website, by the way, they say that they made a good start to 2014. Their own figures show an underlying sales growth of 3.6%, a quarterly dividend up 6%, and emerging markets growing. Even when it came to margarine, what this factory was all about, they state, despite the successful launches of great tasting products like Rama with butter in Germany, the decline of the margarine market remained a drag on our spreads growth, but we are now gaining market share in margarine in both Europe and North America nor cooking products did well, and the successful jelly format was extended into seasonings throughout the introduction of nor flavor pots in the UK. Dressing's performance was stable as Hellman's lapped the 100-year anniversary in the United States. Now, 6% may sound like a small number, but when we're talking about tens of billions of dollars worth of profit, it's pretty apparent that Unilever wasn't exactly hurting. So which is it, darling? Were the markets down and you had to cut employees' pay or were you making fantastic profits and just not sharing that with the employees like you claim you do? Yet again, there's far more examples of this behavior that we can get into. Another more recent dispute came from July, 2020, when Reuters reported that a group of Kenyan tea plantation workers say Unilever failed to protect them from ethnic violence. Though the violence happened years prior, the complaint was escalated to the UN. Seven workers were killed and 56 were raped during this attack when armed men invaded the multinational plantation near the town of Caracho in 2007 and 2008. The workers aren't asking the UN to consider if Unilever failed to protect them, simply whether or not they breached their responsibility to provide a remedy for the harm they suffered. As the article states, the victim said threats of violence were spoken about openly on the plantation and reported to management, but not acted upon, placing them at significant risk of attack. By contrast, they said steps were taken to protect managers and expatriates. The tea pickers, most of them from ethnic groups that were not indigenous to the area, were sitting ducks when the violence erupted. Some of the women contracted HIV after being raped while other survivors were destitute, he added. Unilever failed to provide assistance after the violence and stopped their wages for six months, exacerbating their suffering, victims said. The victims lodged an unsuccessful civil claim for damages against Unilever in England in 2016. The company argued that it could not be held responsible for any alleged failings of its Kenyan subsidiary. But the victims say Unilever has tried to hide behind its corporate structure to block any prospect of a remedy. Leader said he hoped Unilever would meet the victims and agree to medical and psychiatric assessments in order to arrange a welfare scheme, adding that the sum involved would be a small change for the multinational. He said the UN Working Group could issue a declaration on whether Unilever's behavior met international standards and submit a report to the UN Human Rights Council highlighting any breaches committed. 
Although Unilever cannot be forced to take action, leaders said public condemnation by the world's leading body on business and human rights would be a big blow to a company that promotes itself as one of the world's most ethical. It's potentially very damaging reputationally to Unilever if they continue to stonewall these victims, he added. Now, I want to say that there were serious consequences, but there just haven't been. This is absolutely heartbreaking and infuriating. These workers told Unilever, hey, our safety is at risk, and Unilever made sure the managers alone were protected. If that isn't a cruel, inhumane way of calling someone disposable, then I don't know what is. Violence does happen, but you can't tell me Unilever wasn't aware of this because they were protecting the upper level people on those plantations. The fact that they go around championing that high ethics is what they're about makes this all the more insulting. I understand where leaders coming from, stating that public condemnation may be the most useful tool in holding Unilever accountable, but I think we're past the point of that making a difference as messed up as that sounds. Companies like Nestle and Unilever are both such titans of industry that even if people avoided Unilever brands at all costs, I don't think enough people would be on board for it to even make a dent in their profits. Maybe that just sounds really jaded or hopeless of me, but I think for many of us, buying from big brands is sort of how people see hot dogs. You don't really wanna know how it's made and you don't wanna look behind the curtain because you know it's just gonna be gross, but you buy it anyway. And even still, there's plenty more examples, enough to prove that there is definitive evidence that Unilever does not care about their workers, though I am sure many of you are not shocked to hear that. It wasn't until 2016 that the company compensated workers who were said to have been poisoned after mercury waste was dumped on land behind a thermometer factory. The union representing some of the factory workers alleged that 45 employees and 18 children had died due to the toxic effects, a claim denied by the company. The union stated in 2016 that some were still suffering from renal, brain, and neurological disorders. In 2015, workers said that they had been promised compensation, but that the company had failed to follow through. In response, Unilever denied that contaminated glass waste had been dumped behind the factory and that there had been any adverse impacts on health of employees or the environment. There's also been human rights abuses, including forced labor, child labor, gender discrimination, and dangerous work practices at multiple plantations. So let me make it clear that Unilever has had the opportunity to do better, to step in and improve situations, but neglected to do so. In my episode about fast fashion a couple months ago, I mentioned how there were scenarios where some companies are unaware of the abuse that goes on in plantations and factories because their suppliers may be subcontracting the work, things like that. Now, I'm not saying that this is okay. I'm just saying that it does lead to some companies being oblivious. In this case, however, Unilever was not oblivious. They knew this had happened and they didn't care. This, unfortunately, is only one example of their horrific behavior and how they turn a blind eye to it. Now, before we jump into the next section to discuss the environmental impacts of Unilever, let's go ahead and take a quick moment to thank today's sponsor. Doesn't it seem like the world's just against us from getting a good night's sleep? It's hot, it's gross outside, the blankets aren't fully working, the one foot out, one foot in technique, and then you're shifting all through the night, it's exhausting. But when you have a Purple Mattress, you can sleep cool and comfortable no matter what the world throws at you. That's because only Purple Mattresses have the grid. It's a unique ventilated design that allows air to flow through to help you sleep cool, even when it feels like it's a thousand degrees out. And the grid is amazingly supportive for your back and legs while cushioning your shoulders, neck, and hips. So it doesn't matter how you sleep. And unlike memory foam, which remembers everything, the grid bounces back as you moved and shift. 
So you're never getting that I'm stuck feeling that you do with memory foam. Now I have purple pillows and I love the pillows. And so does Casper because he keeps stealing my pillows. Casper, of course, being my puppy, in case y'all didn't know, the Arctic dog who needs to stay cool. And he has definitely stolen my pillows and he's made them his own. And he specifically steals the purple pillows, which is a little odd that he knew exactly how to pick those out, but that's his calling. So it's Casper approved, FYI. And it seems to keep him happy and keep him sleeping well. So I'm gonna take it from him because he steals them from me. So I can't use them anymore, which means I just have to go buy more. So purple is comfort reinvented. And right now you can get 10% off of any order of $200 or more. All you have to do is go to purple.com slash MLM and use promo code MLM. That's purple.com slash MLM promo code MLM for 10% off any order of $200 or more. Purple.com slash MLM promo code MLM. To start off this environmental aspect portion, I very briefly want to mention how Unilever uses palm oil. Let me put a giant disclaimer here and say that they're not the only ones by any means that do this. And I don't think that sustainable palm oil really exists right now. So if you hear someone saying sustainable palm oil, you know, press X to doubt. Now, this of course is a topic in and entirely of itself, but basically even those that are supposed to monitor sustainable palm oil aren't really doing so. However, my problem and my source's problem with Unilever isn't just the fact that palm oil production depends on forced labor, child labor, and a horrific environmental impact, but it's once again, the fact that Unilever is aware of this and they don't act. Amnesty International states, companies are turning a blind eye to exploitation of workers in their supply chain. Despite promising customers that there will be no exploitation in their palm oil supply chains, big brands continue to profit from appalling abuses. These findings will shock any consumer who thinks they are making ethical choices in the supermarket when they buy products that claim to use sustainable palm oil. Corporate giants like Colgate, Nestle, and Unilever assure consumers that their products use sustainable palm oil, but our findings reveal that the palm oil is anything but. There is nothing sustainable about palm oil that is produced using child labor and forced labor. The abuses discovered within Wilmar's palm oil operations are not isolated incidents, but are systemic. Something is wrong when nine companies turning over a combined revenue of $325 billion in 2015 are unable to do something about the atrocious treatment of palm oil workers earning a pittance. And on Wilmar and other subsidiaries, wide ranges of abuse were found there. Workers had to work extremely long hours to meet ridiculously high targets. They faced a range of penalties if they picked an unripe fruit. Some suffered severe injuries from chemicals in the plantation, even though the plantation supposedly banned these chemicals. Like, you get the idea. Any and every kind of abuse, it seems, takes place on these types of plantations. And of course, there's the impact these plantations have on the environment. Ethical Consumer states, In March, 2019, Ethical Consumer checked the Roundtable on Sustainable Palm Oil, RSPO website to find Unilever's 2017 codes of practice for palm oil. We also checked the Unilever website. Unilever stated, in 2017, we achieved 78% traceability and made progress on mapping our suppliers, third-party suppliers, and mills in our extended supply chain. We also saw that the company aimed to use 100% physically certified palm oil by 2019. It was unclear if this had been achieved. The company's ACOP listed several more positive initiatives it was undertaking in its supply chain, including certifying more than 60 factories, validation of the mill point, site certification for independent mills, and a program to help independent smallholders. Unfortunately, only a moderately low percentage of Unilever's palm oil was RSPO certified at the time of their codes of practice report. 
However, it also had positive initiatives and targets in place and disclosed all relevant data for crude palm oil, palm oil kernels, and palm oil derivatives. As a result of this, we gave Unilever a middle rating for its palm oil sourcing and lost half a mark in the palm oil category. Now, I don't actually trust the RSPO again, and this is a completely separate topic in of itself. Truly, I know that stopping the abuse and negative environmental impact in the palm industry in particular is a near impossible feat. This is simply yet another example of the fact that Unilever is aware of the abuse and problems in their operations and supply chains, and yet pride themselves on being ethical when in fact, they are not. This is just not how an ethical company does business. Simply claiming to be ethical shouldn't earn Unilever a solid reputation. They should have to earn it. Personally, I don't think they have. And 78% traceability with their massive quantities and the abuse that occurs, it just isn't good enough. I see no issues with holding them to a higher standard when Unilever themselves say they're claiming, you know, and aiming to use 100% certified palm oil. Paul Pullman's name also, interestingly enough, makes a reappearance here. And some say that it's because of Pullman that Unilever has been striving for sustainability. So Pullman wants the company to be more sustainable, yet he's also the one introducing network marketing. I don't think I can trust a man to hold a business to these high environmental and ethical standards when he can't even Google what MLMs are all about. Now, perhaps I'm the one being too harsh here, but when someone is given this much power over a multi-billion dollar company this large, only to turn it into, in part, an MLM, that worries me just a bit. Think about it. Brand names like Dove are household names. Whether you use them or not, they've become a standard by this point. Being suckered into an MLM is already dangerously easy, but if someone heard they'd be selling products from a billion dollar company whose products they recognize, then I doubt they'd be as inclined to confirm its legitimacy. But I'm getting off track here just a little bit. Let's go back to the environmental standards Pullman has set. The reality of the situation falls into a bit of a weird gray area. New International's article about the topic states, to find out what was what in the real world, we decided to look at three concrete cases. We traveled to Flanders to learn how farmers grow sustainable vegetables by means of an agriculture code developed by Unilever. We investigated what makes Dove a sustainable living brand and a sustainability success story with pride of place in the Unilever annual report. We also flew to palm oil plantations in Indonesia to find out whether Unilever makes good on its promise to source its most important raw material in a sustainable way. We found that Unilever does put more effort into saving the planet than many other companies, but we also discovered that the company scores well because it alone determines what constitutes sustainability. Its close cooperation with NGOs, the authorities, and the media have given it an almost unassailable status. Companies wanting to opt for sustainability are confronted with dilemmas that Unilever refuses to acknowledge. So Unilever scores well because they're scoring themselves. This article even went to one of Unilever's farmers and found that there was no difference between how he grew his crops and his neighbor. They asked him what distinguished him, a Unilever farmer who supposedly uses a sustainable agriculture code that Unilever boasts about as a guideline and the farmer that had never even heard of the code. He stated, quote, practically every Belgian farmer keeps to this plan, end quote, referring to the national sustainability plan where he's from. That's not to say the national sustainability plan in Belgium isn't good enough or anything. It's just that there's no difference in their sustainable products versus any other farm in that area. They're throwing on a sustainable label to look impressive, but the words seem hollow. Now, the next portion we're going to get into is the lobbying. And truth be told, I haven't talked about lobbying much because it simply is an unfortunate fact of business. It's a dark underbelly that exists despite you know what we'd like to think. 
Many companies do lobby or influence politics to get their way. Whether it's a simple, hey, let's sweep this under a rug or, hey, I want this bill to go through. Lobbying is sort of a shady underbelly to business that I just, like I said, I, I don't like to get into it too often. I find that the topic gets very political very quickly. And on top of it, I don't want to forget to use the word alleged at a pivotal moment and find myself drowning in cease and desist letters. I haven't yet, but I most certainly don't want to start. At the same time, I do want to briefly touch upon Unilever and lobbying today because hypocritically enough, they've allegedly lobbied against their own social missions. As one source stated, in February, 2019, Unilever was a member of two groups that we briefly regard as lobby groups that lobby for free trade at the expense of the environment, animal welfare, human rights, or health protection. These were the World Business Council for Sustainable Development and the World Economic Forum. We also viewed the Vermonters for Just a Peace in Israel-Palestine website in March, 2019. The group was calling for a boycott of Unilever's Ben & Jerry's brand over its selling of ice cream within illegal Israeli settlements. VTJP had written, in violation of their social mission, their Israeli franchise sells ice cream in illegal Jewish-only settlements in the occupied West Bank and Eastern Jerusalem, transported on Jewish-only roads on trucks with Jewish-only license plates, passing easily through military checkpoints that bedevil others. An article on the BDS website added that whilst thousands of individuals and nearly 250 organizations in 20 countries had called on Ben & Jerry's to stop sales to Israeli illegal settlements, the company had refused to do so. Open Secrets claims that though Unilever spent around 1 million or less every year since 1998, in 2020, their lobbying totals jumped all the way to almost $12 million. They put their hand in everything from the Growing Climate Solutions Act to the Healthy Soil Resilient Farmers Act to the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act. I can't know exactly what Unilever was claiming to do or what they wanted, but considering what my sources have to say, it certainly doesn't look good. According to Food Navigator, Industry actively tries to stop attempts to restrict the use of plastics, vigorously lobbies against legislation, greenwashes via commitments that focus on end-of-pipe solutions, and shifts responsibility onto consumers, according to the Changing Markets Foundation. Talking Trash, the corporate playbook of false solutions to the plastic crisis, the campaigner has focused on the 10 biggest plastic polluters, a list that includes Coca-Cola, Danone, Mars Incorporated, Mondales International, Nestle, PepsiCo, and Unilever. Now, I've said it before, and I'm gonna say it again. If you're gonna be an asshole, at least be an honest asshole. For Unilever to say how much they value ethics and then lobby against bills that literally align with their supposed mission goals, well, that's a little bit of hypocrisy, don't you say? They've pushed single-use plastics on India, the Philippines, and Malaysia, yet they say they're going to reduce their plastic production. Their words and actions just don't match. They seem to know this is wrong, at least to some extent. In 2014, they were committed to have left the lobby group Business Europe because of the group's stand on environmental practices. One source says, Unilever's decision to quit Business Europe comes after UN Climate Secretariat Chief Christina Figueres urged green businesses to take action on climate change. I really hope that Unilever will put their money where their mouth is in the future. And hey, if in five years they aren't zero plastic like they claim, then I'd love to see their excuse for that as well. But for now, we're going to move on to the next portion of this episode, their treatment of animals. Another point of contention that ethical consumer has with Unilever is their animal testing. The company once again flip-flops on the issue. They say that they have a commitment to no animal testing and yet their own website said this in 2019. Occasionally across our portfolio, some of the ingredients we use have to be tested by our suppliers to comply with legal and regulatory requirements in some markets. And some governments test certain products on animals as part of their regulations. 
It appeared that while Unilever seemed to be working to end the use of animal testing in cosmetics, food, and household cleaning products, it operated in countries that still required animal testing and had no fixed cutoff date for ingredients tested on animals. What this means is that Unilever received ethical consumers' worst rating for animal testing and lost a whole mark under this category. And this is one of the biggest issues I actually have with Unilever is it's the hypocrisy. I'm stunned that Unilever has ever been rated one of the world's most reputable companies and left to wonder if this means they just bought their way onto the list or something. Again, this is so incredibly misleading. Unilever's own statement says that they call for a worldwide animal testing ban on cosmetics by 2023. But then in the next breath, they say that they comply with countries that require animal testing. So which is it? If they're so against animal testing, then stop selling cosmetics to those areas. Unilever even says that PETA endorses them, which is not a compliment considering how messed up PETA is. They are not cruelty-free, end of sentence. There's no, oh, but we still care about animals, so it's okay. We don't test unless we have to, that changes that. I'm not going to tell a company how to run. If you don't wanna be cruelty-free, fine, but be honest about it so consumers know what they're supporting. In this case, Unilever seems to be set on dancing around the issue and pretending like their hands are tied and they're just simply obeying the rules of where they sell. Again, this simply is not the case. They could stop selling to places that require animal testing, but they won't because the money matters more than the animals. Yet somehow we are still not done with Unilever. They've had some success in the advertising arena and they've threatened to leave Facebook and YouTube as well as other platforms that don't do more to stop the spread of misinformation. So I can at least attempt to commend them for that. At least, you know, kind of putting pressure on companies to be more responsible, but it's a shame they don't turn that lens around and look at themselves. As Forbes put it in 2017, Unilever CEO Paul Pullman is a poster child for a CEO gone rogue. Since leading the company in 2009, Unilever has suffered financial and public relations damage from Pullman's disastrous relationship. At the core of Pullman's problem is his eagerness to put superficial feel-good policies ahead of sound business decisions, and he is not shy about touting his twisted priorities. In Pullman's world, as CEO of Unilever, my personal mission is to galvanize our company to be an effective force for good. While Pullman seeks approval from global elites and basks in the glory of being called a sustainability evangelist and a world saver for his roles in combating climate change and efforts to address social issues, Unilever has gone off the rails. Despite Pullman's efforts to make Unilever a good corporate citizen, Unilever was mired in environmental and sexual harassment controversies. Last year, Unilever settled with almost 600 workers in India over mercury exposure from a now-closed thermometer plant. We mentioned this earlier and the abysmal way Unilever handled this. It took them years to actually handle this lawsuit, which hardly sounds like a company that prides themselves on being socially and economically responsible. The article continues and says this. A 2011 Irish Times story exposed sexual harassment claims from African workers that said they had to bribe supervisors to stop them from unwanted advances. Pullman's efforts to address the sexual harassment claims were not universally accepted by NGOs. A 2014 report by the Netherlands-based Center for Research on Multinational Corporations claimed the existing system on checks and balances has failed to stop abuses. And just this month, Unilever's South African business was accused of collusion with a competitor by the company's competition commission. Fines of up to 10% of annual turnover could be levied as a result. Rot starts at the top. And seriously, I could not cover the amount of controversy this business is in, even if I wanted to. There's just so many issues. I'm glad to hear someone else say Pullman is an absolute disaster because all of these issues seem to stem from how the company is being run. 
It's not just a couple problems with a particular supplier or an offensive ad here and there. Unilever is crumbling from the inside out. They claim to care about sustainability, but do next to nothing to prove it. They neglect the business aspect of their own business, so they don't even have that much going for them. They claim to care about their employees, but then they set up an MLM to exploit them. There's absolutely nothing redeemable about Unilever as a company. If you love eating Ben and Jerry's and Dove soap is the only thing that works for you, then like, I get it. It's almost impossible to stop shopping like with these companies' brands. But hopefully though, the more people that know about Unilever's bullshit, the more people will start to call them out. They've also had some recent controversies about some of their ad campaigns too, such as Dollar Shave Club being advertised on Pornhub and their 2011 Lynx ad campaign criticized for objectifying women to the point where even the Advertising Standards Authority banned it. So much for promoting self-esteem for women through Dove, right? Because Dove and Lynx are owned by the same company. So through Dove, they're like, we're empowering women and love your body. And then with the Lynx ad, they're like, women are objects that are fuckable. Some of their other ads have been cleared by the ASA, but still remain highly controversial and distasteful at best, while other methods of advertising are downright disgusting. So let's circle back to the thing that started all of this, the MLM. To sign up to start distributing with Unilever, there's no entry fee, just as there's barely any information. Its main focus seems to be offline selling, which is why there's almost no reliable information about Unilever network out there. Plenty of people online, Reddit, or otherwise have been just as confused by this and asked for more information. One Redditor says, Unilever is a really good company, but I'm worried about its branding being used as an MLM tool, which is also my concern too. And after what we've read today, I don't think Unilever is a good company at all. I think they'll pay and say anything to make people believe that though. Hi, Coos. Being an MLM, promoting a business model that often scams vulnerable people, that's right in line with who they are. Some say Aviance is just using their name, but this simply isn't the case. Paul started Aviance before it became Unilever Network. Now I went to their Unilever Network page and I Google translated it from Thai to English to see if I could find any more information. And here's what I found according to the site. Starting as a business partner with Unilever Life, simply use your products and share opportunities through the business platform. Entrepreneurial Life Platform receives rewards such as shop and share bonus 5% from purchasing using products and sharing. Connection bonus two to 5% from sharing and expanding the team. Group connection bonus from private distributors up to five to 10%. Leadership bonus up to nine business lines, dividend fund. And that nine business lines, I believe means nine downlines. I could be wrong and I don't wanna make an incorrect assumption here, but I'm just going based on context. But the fact is this 5% commission is fucking pathetic. Someone would have to buy hundreds of dollars worth of product just for someone to make some sort of minimum wage, or you'd need dozens of people consistently buying these products just to make it worthwhile. I'm not saying that no one would ever buy from these sellers considering how popular Unilever is, but why would you order from a catalog from a distributor like when you can just go get it at the grocery store? I unfortunately was not able to find an income disclosure for the company, but at the end of the day, if you've heard all of this and still wanna sell for them and work for these people, then I don't think anything I could say would change your mind anyway. Ultimately, there's nothing really redeeming here. There's nothing silly or cheery. There's nothing great to end this. 
I'm sure there's still a lot more things I could say about Unilever's handling of things, but for now, I think we've got enough of an overview about Unilever, the company, and the MLM that they're choosing to create. And then once you just kind of see the rest of their ethical dilemmas, it's pretty obvious that they just fall in line with that MLM mentality. They don't give a shit about anyone but the people at the top. And they'll say all the nice words in the world to make you buy a product, sell like the product, like whatever, because that's the game. So with all of that being said, that's where I'm ending today's episode of Multi-Level Mondays. I hope you enjoyed it. It was a dark, disturbing look at a company that by all means should not have an MLM and yet does. So that's the end of this episode. If you liked it or learned something new, make sure you're liking, following, and subscribing, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.